It's time for Medicaid Open Enrollment in Delaware. From Wilmington to Bethany Beach, connections run deep in the first state. And AmeriHealth Caritas Delaware is dedicated to connecting you to care. To learn more, visit AmeriHealthCaritasDE.com or call 800-996-9969. Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. With less than three weeks now to Election Day, the American electorate is animated in a unique way. You cannot come after people's children and expect that those parents and those communities are just going to sit on their hands and do nothing. We get an admission from Pfizer on the COVID vaccine. They weren't tested on transmission. And lessons learned. They were not false. They weren't conspiracy theories. They were true. Plus, the president extends the state of emergency. We'll look at what the government has been doing. Abusing emergency powers, suspending democracy, and imposing radical transformation on society without the consent of the governed. We have all this and more. I'm Don Crow, coming to you from my home station of WAVA in Washington, D.C. You can catch my program each day through our live stream at WAVA.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Take a moment to follow the Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with the election. We're less than three weeks to Election Day, and many states have already started with early voting. Voters across the country are languishing under decades-high inflation and record-high fuel prices. Last weekend, the president visited Los Angeles, trying to prop up ailing Los Angeles mayoral candidate Karen Bass. The electorate is fired up, and not just about inflation. Kevin McCullough turned to Monica Crowley, Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under President Trump, from AM570, The Mission, in New York City. Monica, you saw the same video. It's a senile old man munching an ice cream cone, and he's acting like, and he's even, on his trip to California last week, he got visually irritated with people asking him about the price of gas. He's got no plan for this, and he's mad that people are worried about it. Well, I would take issue with your characterization, Kevin, that he's got no plan for this. This is the plan. Oh, great. Even better. The catastrophe that you see unfolding around us in every direction, from the economy, inflation, gas prices, wide open border, the collapse of Afghanistan, all of this is the plan. And everybody needs to understand that so that you're not operating from a wishful thinking premise that somehow all of this is just incompetence. Um, It's just, you know, they, they don't really know what they're doing. No, that's nonsense. They know exactly what they're doing. Joe Biden himself is pretty incompetent because he's got severe cognitive issues. He's obviously got dementia. But the reason they chose him is because he is a malleable puppet. That's why he's in there. And the reason he's in there is because he's a puppet to execute what Obama began in 2009, which is what Obama called the fundamental transformation of the nation. So everything you were seeing is by design. It is all intentional. And for those who are saying, oh, that can't quite be, I understand the difficulty in trying to process that your own president and his entire political party are literally out to destroy the country. But you better get with that reality sooner rather than later, because we are in a war for the future of the country. Monica, on that note, I believe that there there is at least some good news being shown in the uh, Trafalgar and the uh, Rasmussen polls 
from this last week that show independence a plus 30 with with Republicans. And you're not hearing this reported anywhere, but on all of the major issues, inflation, cost of living, economy, crime, security, feeling safe where you live, etc., uh, and, and even some of the others that are there, like, you know, what's going on in your kid's school and educational process. You've got angry mama bears that are disrupting school council meetings in places like San Francisco. I don't know if you saw that video of that mom from Ensenada on Friday, but she literally challenged every school board member to step down uh, because they had uh, created this event where you could bring a drag queen to school and parents were supposed to just be OK with it. Uh, this I've not seen this kind of angry woman's vote on the on the conservative side, on the on the right of center side in a really long time. But they are ticked that their kids are being transitioned against their will in uh, against the parents permission in the public schools. They're ticked about the educational process that's failing them on the reading and writing, but making sure that they have all this woke junk to put in their brains. And they're tired of having to make the choice between filling up their cars with gas or going to get groceries for the week. And it's like the other side doesn't have any clue that the average American working and middle class Americans are saying this is what we're living through and you guys aren't listening to us. Again, they do have a clue. They just don't care because what you're dealing with now is this is a Marxist revolution. Again, everybody needs to understand what we are experiencing here. The, the Democratic Party of today is not the party of JFK or even Bill Clinton. This is now a Marxist revolutionary party. And you've got some out there like AOC and Bernie Sanders and, you know, Bill de Blasio when he was there, who will come straight out and say, this is what I believe and this is what I'm seeking for the country. But most of them dress it up really well. And so they've calmed a lot of people into thinking that this is just the average Democratic Party. It is not. So they're fully aware of what's going on. You know, when people say, well, they don't really understand the free market. Of course they understand the free market. They just reject it. So when you, you start with that base of understanding of what's actually happening here, then you can really counter it. Now, the Democrat communists can certainly come after a lot of adults who are low-information voters and convince them that, uh, you know, they've got all the answers and they're the Democratic Party of old. But when they start coming after people's children, that's when they jump the shark, Kevin. Yep. And this is what we're seeing now, what you've just laid out, parents going to school board meetings, parents running for their local school boards. We're seeing in deep blue areas of the country, including New York and Chicago and even San Francisco. We're seeing over the last like year, year and a half that those radicals who are on these school boards are getting thrown out. In all kinds of elections, because people have had enough. You don't come after children with CRT and drag shows and gender dysphoria stuff and boys competing against girls. You cannot come after people's children and expect that those parents and those communities are just going to sit on their hands and do nothing. I think normal people, including parents, are going to destroy the Democratic Party on November 8th. Yes, parents are particularly animated today. For many of them, what caught their attention was how their kids were being treated over the course of the pandemic. Mask mandates, social distancing, remote learning, and for many, vaccine mandates. A vaccine we now know that was not tested on effectiveness at actually preventing transmission of the virus. 
Here's the admission from Pfizer executive Janine Small speaking with Rob Roos before a hearing of the European Parliament. Regarding the question around um, did we know about stopping humanisation before um, it's entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. Matt Staver of the Liberty Council has been watching this story. He was a guest on my program. We all remember the scare tactics and the stigmatization that was placed upon the worldwide population that if you don't get these COVID shots, you're going to be a potential carrier, you're going to get COVID, you're going to transmit it to someone else. So in order to protect and love your neighbor, you need to do the right thing and get these shots. Well, now we know during this European hearing uh, where one of the uh, members Rob Moss, a member of the European Parliament from the Netherlands, he asked Janine Small, who's the president of International Developed Markets for Pfizer, asked her specifically to address the question of whether or not these were tested on transmission, and if so, to present the data. So she responded, and she said, well, no, uh, they weren't tested on transmission. She goes on to say that we really had to move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. So they were not tested on transmission. How can they therefore say that they're effective in preventing transmission, and that was the lie, and that they had to move at the speed of science? Well, the speed of science doesn't ignore science. It takes science into consideration. In other words, they left science behind. They didn't care about the science. And then they say in this admission, startling, that we had to really understand what is taking place in the market. Yeah. In response to that, the member of the European Parliament came back and he said that this undermines completely the basis for those mandates to get the COVID shot. And he's absolutely correct. The so-called conspiracy theories turned out to be exactly right. And they labeled people that said, well, these were not safe, they're not effective, they're not going to prevent transmission, there's some risk factor here, we ought to be cautious. Those kinds of common sense, science-based statements, even those other alternative means to treat COVID, all those were decried as false conspiracy theories, and now we see that, in fact, they were not false, they weren't conspiracy theories, they were truth. And those people that were pushing this big pharma lie were the ones that were duping the global population. But it wasn't just a lie. If it were just a lie, that would be one thing. But the problem is is that it goes way beyond a lie so that, in fact, this lie hurt people. Um, it hurt people by terms of, you know, like he says, locking people out from society. Yep. It hurt people in public schools or in other schools, children. It hurt parents. It hurt people that were business owners. It hurt employees. And it hurt the very people that took these COVID shots. You know, many of them are suffering significant consequences. They continue to try to deny that. And... Uh, the fact is that those people's voices and their experiences and those people who are alive to tell about some of those family members who are no longer here, 
those need to be heard. Those stories need to be told. And people need to be held accountable. Matt, how deeply embedded is this whole thing in our culture now where people are still wearing masks, putting masks on their kids, insisting that others around them wear masks, etc.? Well, I think it's, unfortunately, it's sort of like 9-11. It's almost like we turned a page in 9-11 and we lost some freedom. And it's hard to go back to that same pre-9-11 time frame. I think we have a similar situation here. Um, I think, however, that what we have is a template for people that want to restrict freedom. And they know what that template is. You submit people to fear. You get them afraid for their own personal safety, and you can pretty much manipulate them any way you want to. On the other hand, there's a lot of us who saw this coming. There's other people who are waking up to it, have woken up to this agenda. And there's a lot of us that say, no, we never want to go down this road again. What we do need to do is we need to go back to a pre-COVID scenario where this never happens again and we eradicate these ideas that have been so oppressive. Coming up, we'll revisit the statement from the president. The pandemic is over. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics and to test them quantitatively requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu SPP. That's pepperdine.edu SPP. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Don Crow. President Biden appeared on 60 Minutes on September the 18th. He was interviewed by Scott Pelley, and he made news. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. So the pandemic is over. And yet, just last week, the president extended the public health emergency through February next year. Why? Why the reticence to end the state of emergency? That's right at the heart of what is on the mind of Mark Morano. His new book is The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. Mark was a guest on my program. What is The Great Reset? All right, here's the shortest definition. It's the Chinification of America. It's the once free West mimicking one-party authoritarian rule of the Chinese government through the use of emergency power, abusing emergency powers, suspending democracy, and imposing massive societal radical transformation on society without the consent of the governed. And in real simple terms, no one voted for lockdowns, vaccine mandates, school closures, church closures. No one voted to ban the gas-powered cars. No one voted to ban meat. Yet all of those things are either happened or are happening through executive orders and through abuse of emergency power. COVID in March of 2020 changed the once free West to follow the model of one-party rule in China, where bureaucrats and politicians can now just impose what they think we need to under 
the uh, auspices of emergency powers. Well, one of your colleagues who endorses the book, and we've had her on the show as well, Cheryl Chumley, said at least when George Orwell wrote about a dystopian society, it was fiction. But as Mark Moreno makes clear in his brilliantly detailed Great Reset, there are those actually working actively today to bring about the real world of that sort that uh, Orwell talked about. And that's frightening, isn't it? It is. I mean, what they've done is everything I just, every major change that we've experienced since March of 2020, again, was done without a choice. We never voted for any of it. No parliament, no city halls, no board of supervisors, no legislators, Congress. And we're still living under the 9-11 terrorism emergency orders. And those led to the creation of the Patriot Act, which we were told would only spy on, you know, essentially enemies of the state, foreign nationals. They're now using that for domestic surveillance. Parents complaining at school boards are being put under watch as domestic terrorist threats. And so the reason this has become like a 1984 dystopian reality is, under these COVID emergencies, which is still going on, Joe Biden, President Biden, has extended the COVID emergency already into next year. There's no sign of it ending. This has given every governor, mayor, the ability to be a literally a dictator overnight in America. It's an incredible power. We need serious reform of that. But that is how they want to go forward. So because of all this, the World Economic Forum in Davos, in conjunction with groups like the United Nations, the World Health Organization, are essentially wanting to extend this situation of the permanent lockdown, this time using climate change. In fact, within two months of the March 2020 lockdowns, the Davos Group World Economic Forum announced this great reset, a reset of capitalism, a reset of the, new, of the current order, all in the name of climate change. And that is where we are headed, Don, and that's what I detail in the book. Associated Press, Washington Post has announced in July of this year that President Biden is set to declare a national climate emergency, which will give him, mayors and governors, 130 new executive wartime powers. And this climate emergency is not going to end because there's no criteria on which they're going to say, "Okay, we've solved the climate crisis. That is how you get a permanent lockdown. Uh, Really, the COVID-19 was uh, the perfect storm to trigger this, but the depth of it goes back years and decades, as you've already alluded. World Economic Forum, great reset of capitalism uh, in response, of course, and as you say, now moving to the larger issue of climate change. But talk about the global aspects of this and why we ought to be really concerned that American nationalism, American independence is really at stake here. Okay, well, one of the biggest threats we face, and I'd like to later on, we can talk about going back to Woodrow Wilson's presidency in 1913, where this philosophy came from. But the most pressing issues we face now are twofold. Joe Biden about to declare a national climate emergency, probably after the midterm election. And number two is the World Health Organization pushing what's called a pandemic treaty. This is so far out there that even the Washington Post headline called it a, quote, radical pandemic treaty. What this would do is allow Bill Gates funded scientists at the World Health Organization. And by the way, Bill Gates is the second largest donor next to the United States government, the Gates Foundation, to the World Health Organization. It would allow the World Health Organization scientists to declare a pandemic 
for any kind of health crisis. And keep in mind, the World Health Organization has already declared climate change the greatest health, public health threat of the 21st century. It would allow them to declare an emergency, and then we'll have global lockdowns. And the Biden administration is all for the United States joining up with this pandemic treaty. That is one example of how we would lose national sovereignty. They could order travel restrictions, vaccine passports, lockdowns. In these trial runs with John Hopkins University, World Economic Forum, Gates Foundation, Rockefeller, they've actually openly talked about shutting down people's access to the Internet in order to prevent misinformation. So this is the threat. We face a sovereignty threat. We face an individual liberty threat. And we face a, a centralization of power that's going to fewer and fewer people. But it's also at its heart a corporate government collusion, which has traditionally been defined as fascism. And this is where you have all the major corporations, their boards quaking in fear at every progressive woke activist, whether it's transgender, critical race theory, climate agenda. Uh, this is what we end up with is the government working in hand in hand with corporations and particularly in censorship. We're seeing it now where big tech censorship is government censorship. It's literally corporate government collusion. The Biden administration sends a list of names they want banned. Big tech bans them. The Biden administration sends a list of websites. Big tech is eager to ban whatever websites they can to curry more favor with the administration in power. We know this now through Freedom of Information Act. That is the great reset. It's resetting, and, and I'll, I'll end with this. They're collapsing our current energy, our food systems, going after high-yield agriculture, meat-eating. They're collapsing our transportation, banning gas-powered cars, and they're collapsing our free speech rights. That is the great reset. It's not something theoretical that could, might, may happen five, 20 years. It's happening now. It's been happening since March of 2020 on a rapid pace. Where are we in this battle so far? Is it a fait accompli at this point? Uh, it seems like much of our government and agencies have already been totally co-opted on the left and by the left. Uh, we're seeing things done by government against us uh, that we just can't believe are happening, and yet they are. Is it uh, too late? Well, no, it's not too late at all. It starts at the lowest level of politics. I'm from Virginia, and what happened here was amazing. At the school board level, angry parents showing up, fighting critical race theory, fighting transgender ideology, fighting COVID theater of masking kids. So you, and I show in the book how the resistance at every level, even the lowest level of politics, can stop this nonsense cold in its tracks. We also need reform of emergency declarations. It cannot be as they currently are where a politician declares an emergency and then keeps extending it and legislators have no say in how long these emergency powers go to just one branch of government. There has to be reform of that as well. Coming up, what is happening in our public schools? Schools are pushing these books on our kids. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. 
I'm Don Crow. As the nation approaches Election Day, there is no question about it. The economy, inflation, fuel prices, those are the main motivators of voters this cycle. But don't overlook the issue of education. As Mark Moreno pointed out just a few minutes ago for us, Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia, in large part as a result of his stance on parents' rights in their kids' education. The way our school-aged kids were treated in the pandemic was a catalyst for them to wake up and look more closely at what was happening in the public schools. Let me give you a brief warning. I'm going to play a clip here that you might not want your little ones to hear. It's from California. With Halloween on the horizon, kids were invited to a boo bash that included a, quote, family-friendly drag show. Parents have had enough. While we have a culture that has a massive problem with child porn, with sex trafficking, you, a little school district board of adults, made the decision to feature an event to hypersexualize young children. Do you want to know that the word that defines that? It's groomer. You all played the activist pimp for an aligned surgical center and for a 21-plus gay bar. It makes you groomers and activist pimps and we won't have those sitting on a school board who oversees the education of our children. You all stepped out of line. You should be ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing loving. No. There's nothing. Let's unite and include. Because the logical conclusion of that is you end up in diabolical evil. There are boundaries. And you don't slap family-friendly titles on stuff to cover your Kevin McCullough turned to Karen England of the Capital Resource Institute. From AM570, The Mission, in New York City. They start with a story in Michigan where largely Muslim parents, as well, have had enough. What happened in Michigan last week? Well, what's going on is is not just in Michigan or your school district. It's all over, and we've been trying to expose it specifically in red states. And that is the obscenity and pornography, not just in the textbooks, but how they've invaded our public school libraries, and especially during Banned Book Week, or right now we're in the LGBTQA coming out month, schools are pushing these books on our kids. A Banned Book Week, there were school districts all over. Um, I'll talk about here in, in Tennessee, in Clarksville, which is a military conservative town, the school districts were promoting banned books and giving points to students for reading books that are on the ALA's banned book list. Well, that's where all these very graphic books are. And they were reading from that in, in Michigan. And right. they've been reading from them all over the nation. And it's horrific, some of the stuff that is out there that these schools want to expose our kids to. The ALA uh, kind of uh, takes great delight in kind of like tongue-in-cheeking this, kind of poking fun back at parents and others who objective against this stuff. But, Karen, just for people's, uh, the people that are listening, just for clarification for them, what type of material do these books include? Well, oh, they include, and let me just see, the ALA admits it. Their own word cloud talks about what parents object to, pedophilia, sexually explicit material, pornography, even the ALA says that's what parents are objecting to, and I'm here to tell you that is what they're objecting to, and it is in these books. And we wonder why there's been such an increased number of girls thinking they're boys and vice versa. 
it's because our schools are actively working against parents in this arena. And we have uncovered some really, really graphic books. I really encourage your listeners to go to our Instagram at Capital Resource Institute. We unveiled a book called Trans that has QR codes at the back. So the kids are accessing this really graphic material that takes you to over 18 websites where you've got to be over 18 and push a button. It's sending you there. And again, parents have no idea because they're not looking at the back of every chapter and, and doing the QR codes. And the schools know this. This is how they're hiding it. Sure. Well, uh, given that, uh, you've seen some very uh, interesting alliances come about. Uh, in the ones in Dearborn, Michigan, you had, you know, strongly Muslim communities coming together with strongly Christian communities that normally would be very much at odds on many things. But the one thing that they agreed upon is that this smut shouldn't be put in the hands of, of school children. Absolutely. This, this is considered obscenity. The problem is years ago, there were 44 states that exempt public schools along with universities and libraries from obscenity laws. So something in Dearborn, Michigan or in Tennessee, that if I were to give to my, a neighbor child or have on a lunch table in the corporate boardroom, I would get possibly arrested, social services called, and definitely a harassment lawsuit. But it's okay in our public schools because of these exemptions for obscenity. And that's how they're getting in our schools. There's yeah. this, this exemption, and, and it's crazy. Every legislature should go in and tighten that up and change it for our public schools. Coming up... I took a stand not only to protect my own freedoms, but I recognize that what the state is, is going after impacts me, but it impacts future generations. Community, when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics and to test them quantitatively requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Don Crow. Many of you remember Jack Phillips. He's the cake maker from Colorado who found himself in front of the Supreme Court in 2018, defending his right to use his artistic and creative talents in ways that reflect his Christian conviction. He won by a 7-2 margin. But the Supreme Court in that case did not answer all the questions surrounding the First Amendment. 303 Creative versus Elenis is the next big First Amendment case to watch. The Supreme Court announced just this week that they have put it on their calendar for December 5th. It's on our calendar as well, as we'll be watching closely and reporting on this again. It's a website designer, Lori Smith, who also happens to be from Colorado. Kelly Fedorik of Alliance Defending Freedom joined her on The Eric Metaxas Show. A lot of people, I think, have this idea that this doesn't concern them, that this happens to somebody else. But more and more and more, normal people going about their normal lives find themselves in the crosshairs of crazy anti-liberty forces, which is why we need the Alliance Defending Freedom. Tell me about the the case uh, with Lori Smith. And Lori will be on here in a second. But uh, Kelly, tell us about that. Give us an idea of what is the case with Lori. 
Smith. Yes, definitely. Well, you know, by God's grace, we've um, had 14 Supreme Court wins in the past 11 years, and we're are hopeful that Lori's will be, be our 15th uh, win. At, at stake in Lori's case, uh, Lori is an artist from Denver, Colorado. She's a graphic designer, and she is seeking to, to create consistent with her convictions, but Colorado's telling her she can't do that. They're censoring her beliefs and trying to force her to design websites for weddings that go against her faith, the very core of who she is. So thankfully, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear her case and will decide in that case whether or not Americans can be free to say what they believe, um, which is something that all of us want. So a win for Lori is not just for Lori, it's a win for everyone. I want to just have my audience really understand what we're dealing with here. This is a level of madness that if you don't do something about it, folks, everybody can afford to do something which is why I keep saying go to metaxastalk.com, give to ADF. There are not a thousand organizations like ADF. There are a tiny, tiny handful, almost none (laughs) besides ADF. And ADF is the best at this. They literally have taken 14 cases to the Supreme Court and won. So if they're not doing this, then people get bullied. And you say, well, what kind of people get bullied? Oh, I don't know. What about Lori Smith, a graphic artist who is on the program right now? Lori, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. This is, I wanted to have you on. I'm excited to have you on because I thought, you know, you're like anybody. You're a graphic designer. This is pretty basic stuff. This is not difficult for people to comprehend. Somebody comes to you and demands that you create something for them which is not consistent with your values. And you say, well, I can't do that. And they say, well, we're going to make you do that. And where do you go? You, you either get put out of business or you get sued and legal bills or, or you go to the Alliance Defending Freedom. So, but tell the case of like, what, what happened to you that caused you to turn to Alliance Defending Freedom? Sure. Well, I've always been a creative person. I've enjoyed creating all my life. For many years, I worked in the public and private sector, and I ultimately wanted to start my own business, and that's what I did. And the best part of my job is that I get to work with people from all walks of life, including those who identify as LGBT. Um, But what's important to note is that while I work with everyone, and that brings me a lot of joy, I can't promote all messages through my business. And so what the government is saying is that they have the right, which they do not, to force me to speak and celebrate and create messages to pour my time and my talent into promoting things that violate my deeply held beliefs. And I believe strongly that all Americans, um, whether your views on marriage are the same as mine or they're different, we all must live and work freely without the fear of government punishment. What's amazing uh, to me, is that this is happening in places like Colorado. In other words, you have these bastions of, what can we call it, illiberality, where they are targeting people. It seems obvious they're targeting people, because if I go to a Muslim baker and say, hey, pal, I got some money here, and I want you to create something that is an anti-Islamic message and shut up and do it, or I'm coming after you, Colorado would not support me in that. They would say, well, that's that's not right. In other words, they're being really selective because 
obviously folks uh, with, with biblical uh, beliefs like Lori would say, well, I can't celebrate same-sex marriage. Uh, I, can, I can love people that I have different views with, but you're asking me to participate in that. I can't do that. So it seems to me that places like Colorado with, with uh, Jack Phillips, they're particularly hostile to people of faith. And if it weren't for you and ADF, people of faith would literally lose their businesses. Well, that's right, Eric. They're going after people like Lori and Jack Phillips. And it's not just happening in Colorado. We're seeing it happen across the country where governments are targeting artists, trying to, to force them to violate their convictions. People like Lori who serve everyone but can't promote all messages. And they're threatening them with jail time, with up to even six-figure fines, revocation of their business licenses. And, and you're right. Ultimately, the government shouldn't force any of us. It shouldn't force an LGBT graphic designer to create um, art that violates their convictions. It shouldn't force a Democrat speechwriter to write for the Republican platform. Regardless of uh, who we are or what our beliefs are, the government should protect each of us and our ability to live and to work and to create consistent with those convictions, to speak consistent with those convictions. And so that's what we're asking the Supreme Court to do is to uphold the free speech rights of Lori Smith and the free speech rights that belong to every single one of us as Americans. Lori, can you talk about your case? What, what was it that triggered this that where you had to turn to ADF? What triggered my case almost six years ago, it's been quite a journey, is that the state is censoring my speech, is compelling speech. So as I looked around at the way that Colorado was treating others, and like you mentioned, Jack Phillips, other people of faith specifically, I really didn't feel like I had much of a choice. I want to control the content of my own speech Everyone should be free to do that, whether your views on marriage or other topics are the same as mine or different. So I took a stand not only to protect my own freedoms, but I recognize that what the state is, is going after impacts me, but it impacts everyone. It impacts future generations, um, people who might be raising kids now. If they want to follow my steps one day and be a designer, they should have the freedom to control the content of their own speech. Coming up, the Christian worldview and Christian leaders that lack it. We can persuade God to let us spend eternity with him if we do enough good things for other people. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Don Crow. As we look at the state of our country and our culture today, I wouldn't be surprised if many of you wonder, how is it that things have changed so quickly? One big reason, the erosion of Bible-shaped Christian worldview, including among pastors. Yes, George Barna, now with Arizona Christian University, talked to my colleague Bill Bunkley about Barna's findings in his new report, The American Worldview Inventory 2022, from Faith Talk WTBN in Tampa. One of the beliefs held by pastors, listen closely, audience, listen A person who is generally good or does good enough things for others will earn a place in heaven. Now, we know that Jesus told us, I am the way and the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except by me. George Barna, give us the raw truth here. This is shocking what pastors believe. Well, Bill, of course, there's a range here across denominations within the the Christian spectrum. But when we look at that particular item, what we find is that one out of five pastors at denominational churches 
believe that you can earn a place in heaven. One out of three pastors at evangelical churches believe that a good person can earn a place in heaven. Uh, We find that half of the pastors of Pentecostal or charismatic churches across the country would say that good people can earn their place in heaven. Two out of three of the pastors at traditionally black churches across the country believe that, and a little bit more than the pastors, half of all the pastors in the holiness churches would say that, and three out of four Catholic priests believe that you can earn your salvation if you're good enough. So it depends on what church you're going to, what you're going to hear taught in terms of a doctrine related to salvation. But no matter what group of churches you look at, it's mind-blowing to me that what we're finding is that such a large proportion of pastors, almost regardless of church, believe that salvation is not attributable solely to the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but instead turn it around and say, no, it really depends on us. It's all about us. We can persuade God to let us spend eternity with him if we do enough good things for other people. And so there's a lot of error being taught to our future pastors. And then when they get into these positions of influence and authority within churches, they take the error that they've been taught at seminaries, and that's being supported by a culture that doesn't believe in God, a culture that doesn't believe that the Bible is God's true and authoritative word. And they feel confident now that what they come up with in their own mind is the way to go. That concludes our program today. You can get the full conversation of George Barna with Bill Bunkley at ChristianOutlook.com. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, go to ChristianOutlook.com and take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. And never miss these and other great conversations. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Don Crow. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook. It's time for Medicaid Open Enrollment in Delaware. From Wilmington to Bethany Beach, connections run deep in the first state. And AmeriHealth Caritas Delaware is dedicated to connecting you to care. To learn more, visit AmeriHealthCaritasDE.com or call 800-996-9969.